Welcome to Refactor This, sponsored by vFunction. In each episode, we talk application modernization tools, concepts, and advice with industry experts. Hi, my name is Amanda McGuckin Hager. I'm hosting this episode of Refactor This. And today I'm joined with Lee Faust, who is the global CTO of GitLab and who frequently talks about cloud, DevOps, DevSecOps. Lee is also a frequent speaker. Uh, you can find him on stage. He recently presented at AWS reInvent, and you'll find him again at the All Things Open conference that's being hosted in Raleigh in October. Welcome, Lee. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's so nice to have you here. Is there anything else I left out of your background? Anything you would like to add or share? No, uh, I'm a, you know, over 25-year industry veteran. Started off my career in the education space and over my last few jobs, I've really enjoyed being a, a global field CTO for a lot of different organizations and helping to speak about best practices and things that I've learned over the last 25 years. Awesome. Well, I know that we can all learn a few things from all that experience that you're going to share with us today. I wanted to open up with a very basic question around cloud. So in your experience, 25 years of experience, how do you see companies adopting the cloud today? Well, Amanda, that's a, a great question. You know, traditionally, my role is spent working with large enterprises. And as you can imagine, these enterprises have been in business for much longer than I've been around. You know, companies like IBM and State Farm and Bank of America. And there's a lot of history there. And when we start to try to introduce technologies like cloud or microservices, those things, it, it's sometimes it's like moving a mountain. So uh, when I work with different executives, one of the conversations that we have is they see adopting cloud as uh, it's sort of binary to them. So it's either cloud migration, so lift and shift, taking their existing VMs and just moving them out into the cloud. And the other path is through app modernization. So they start new greenfield projects and they start to move those workloads into things like containers or into serverless. Unfortunately, it, for us, it's not binary. When I work with a lot of companies, they get caught. There's this uh, concept called brownfield, which are applications that are sort of in maintenance. And how do I take my maintenance cycles for these applications, move them through a dev SecOps experience, and get them into those newer environments that we're preparing for the greenfield. So that way, our brownfield applications and our greenfield applications can be monitored and um, uh, being able to leverage a lot of the capabilities that come in the cloud out of the box that we get reuse and we get economy of scale. Inside of GitLab, I've got a colleague of mine, Darwin. Um, he works with our AWS team directly, and he came up with the term, so I want to make sure he gets credit, but we call it refactor readiness. Oh, I love um, it. <laughs> so this is one of the things that when I actually started researching refactor readiness and what that could mean to our customers, you know, V function came along. And I joked with some executives this week, I told them that, I probably should have gone into QA because I'm the one who has a tendency to break things where people did not intend them to break. And this is where 
companies like vFunction can be very powerful to our customers. We don't know what we don't know. And a lot of times these code bases have evolved over, you know, five, 10, 15 years. And we, (laughs) exactly, exactly. And one of the things that I've asked customers is I'm like, do you know where your dead code is? Do you know where the technical debt lives? And a lot of them, they can't answer that question. And you want to implement these things like DevSecOps and you want to scan the entire code base. You want to, what happens when you reach a, a function or a new Java class or something that it hasn't been touched in 10 years? Yeah, you didn't even know right? existed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The developer doesn't even work for the company anymore, or it was written by a third party offshore team that you no longer do business with, you know, who's responsible for fixing that? And so a lot of times we end up rewriting that functionality anyway, because we just don't understand how it works. So it's easier just to start from scratch, but that introduces a whole other set of complexities. So that refactor readiness by being able to know where is the low hanging fruit and bringing in those brownfield teams, which the companies I talk to is a majority of their applications. They're not building hundreds of new applications every day. They're trying to maintain hundreds of applications while they're innovating with, you know, five to 10 that are the new greenfield applications. So leveraging the cloud as part of that strategic enablement and knowing what the outputs are that you want to expect. A lot of people will start to talk about things like value stream management, doing value stream assessments and plugging in migration strategies where it's more than just lift and shift. Uh, The executives that are trying to leverage the cloud, they go ahead and immediately after two to three years, they're like, well, why am I not saving tens of thousands of dollars, not hundreds of thousands of dollars? I thought that's what the cloud was for. And it's like, well, what you've done is you've just, you're using somebody else's compute. You know, there's there's no real savings in that. Yeah, you've just shifted the problem to a new location, right? That's correct. So where we're seeing a lot of customers with GitLab today is when they're able to take that source code, they're able to start to do analysis of it, code quality checks, being able to run products like vFunction to be able to know where is that low-hanging fruit to start breaking out the application. Number one, get the database out. So the database is out of the VM, getting the middleware components out of the VM, making sure that the source code is in a viable state for you to be able to maintain, getting that data back and then being able to build a roadmap around it. How do I start now applying agile strategies to it? And that's where we're seeing a huge uptick in our customers being able to leverage our platform along with tools like vFunction to take those brownfield applications and take advantage of those capabilities in the cloud. Yeah, I think when we were speaking a minute ago, you you talked about that concept of cloud can be, and in many cases is, a strategic enabler if you choose to approach it that way, right? And I think you have a story from AWS reInvent, your co-host or co-presenter. <laughs> yeah, so um, I love Amato. I, I, I think of Amato as a, a friend and colleague. He and I had put a presentation together that we weren't sure was going to get accepted. 
So Amato works for NASDAQ, and we told a story at reInvent around how they were able to think about the cloud differently. So they are publicly an AWS customer, and we can include in the show notes uh, a link to our actual presentation. But the highlight was that they started off with that refactor readiness mindset. And they started looking at the tech debt and they started thinking about just breaking the application apart. But what they recognized is if they refactored the application completely into a serverless architecture and completely stepped over just doing microservices, that an event-driven architecture was a better fit for the application holistically. And strategically, internally, that allowed them to deploy the application in such a way that they could see much higher return on investment because they got rid of all the dead code. They got rid of a lot of the tech debt. And what was initially seen as a brownfield application all of a sudden became a greenfield application, but nobody saw it that way. It was the same application. It was still providing the exact same requirements. It was meeting those requirements. It was doing all the things. Maybe the UI changed a little bit. Maybe the services that were consumed were a little bit different, but for all intensive purposes, still the same application. Same functionality, same, same application, same end goal. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I think were a lot of companies are missing when they look at their cloud journey is they're not thinking about thinking outside the box. Um, I've had a lot of different conversations where I remember earlier in my career, part of my journey was I wanted to become an enterprise architect. That was always my goal. I was like, that, that was sort of the pinnacle was to become an enterprise architect. May I just ask you why? Like what, what is that? What did that hold for you? Um, so part of my career journey as starting off in education and getting uh, doing some sales, pre-sales work. And I always wanted to interact with other developers and always be able to share best practices. And so for me as an enterprise architect, I was able to set future vision for the teams, but at the same time, I was always working with a business and pulling them into the conversation. So knowing both sides of the story, a lot of times we get caught up in doing technical things for technical reasons, and we don't necessarily understand the impact that that has on the business. One of my uh, favorite stories when I was working at Red Hat, we were working with a partner and it was through a, a friend of mine and the tool that we were bringing in to help us with collaboration. They said, hey, look, we really want to get feedback from your team. What if we did releases weekly and you were able to roll those out in an automated way? And um, that way, every time we build new features and stuff at the end of a sprint, we could then get feedback from your team. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm sure the team would love to go ahead. What I started finding out is there were a lot of people who couldn't keep up with all of the new changes. Oh, it's too fast. We didn't. Yeah. Yep. So we didn't have the docs and all of a sudden certain features moved to different parts of the product and all of a sudden people got lost. And that was eye-opening to me that sometimes fast is not the right path. 
you've got to collect that right balance. And going back to enterprise architecture, a lot of times we push back on enterprise architecture and say, I want to move faster. I want more velocity. I want to, and I'm like, are your customers ready for faster? If your customers, like, again, I, I always joke with people. I'm like, if you, if your parents or your grandparents were consumers of this technology and you made this change, would they know where their old functionality went? And a lot of people sit there and be like, no, they're not going to know where it went. And I'm like, this is why when you think you're refactoring application, make sure you've got a purpose behind the refactoring. And, you know, the UI may never change, but you can change the back end. And then once we have the back end, we can start thinking about the front end. And all of those things to me all fell underneath the enterprise architecture purview. So that for me was the pinnacle. And then that helped me end up becoming a principal architect at Red Hat, which ended up leading me to become a CTO. And then that led me to starting my own company. So all of those things were, as I see, building blocks. But I've learned across so many different industries, you know, the, the power of uh, change and monitor change inside an organization. Mm-hmm. There's a famous business book out there, uh, John Cotter's book. Are you familiar with it? I, I'm not. I think it's called Leading Change. And uh, anyway, I'll recommend that one. That'll be my one contribution <laughs> here. <laughs> um, so, but I, I want to go back to a point that you made about about the rate of change and implementing too much change in an application where customers may not be able to keep up, but also balancing the business goals, right, of the entire project. And so, I mean, we don't live under rocks. We can see that the economy right now is not the strongest or not maybe not the, the most hopeful economy that we've seen in our lifetimes. There's been talk of recessions. There's talk of the markets, you know, companies and enterprises today. We've also seen ChatGPT launch, and we've seen the rise in interest and conversations around AI. Uh, And all that sort of comes together in this question, which is how can enterprises today refactor and architect their applications in a way to maintain and even go beyond maintenance and get to that competitive edge? Amanda, it's a great question. I agree with you. You know, you're seeing a lot of the tech companies do layoffs. We're seeing people do a lot of consolidation in the tool space. Executives are being more concerned about penny pinching, not for a bad reason. I mean, these companies, they're publicly traded companies. They need to make sure that they're meeting their investors where their expectations live. But there's an opportunity. I've seen this now. This is the third time in my career. There's going to be certain companies that are going to go and they're going to circle the wagons. And this is going to be from an executive purview. How do let's just go ahead and maintain where we're at. And then we're going to have other customers who are going to go out and say, this is the iron's right. You know, it's hot. Let's strike now. And let's think about how we start to integrate these technologies into our products. And it'll be interesting to see who wins. You know, we've seen some of the articles where Google ended up representing some information that maybe wasn't correct. And um, then we have other customers who are circling the wagons and they're able to build incredible efficiencies. 
into their overall processes, which could provide them in two to three years, a lot of agility that they didn't have in the past. I think there's going to be those companies that find a right blend of both. And that may be some of, uh, you know, is it going to mean another consolidation? Are we going to see a consolidation like we saw in the banking industry? Will there be a consolidation somewhere else? Could we, heaven forbid, see a consolidation in the cloud environment? Could one cloud end up consuming another cloud? Mm, That's an interesting point. I haven't given any thought to. (laughs) (laughs) So where will those consolidations take place? But one of the things that I'm I'm recognizing is we have a number of, I've seen just even personally, even with my banking provider, starting to include AIML, where I don't think if anybody else was looking at their bank account, would sit there and be like, uh, oh, this looks like AIML. Uh, mm-hmm, me working yeah. in a tech space, I, I see You recognize it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in my career, one of the things that I've seen is that people want to, they like comparing themselves against others, as well as comparing themselves against uh, industry leaders. They want to know how their organization's doing. And I think AIML is going to start to do some of that for these companies where the data will be redacted in such a way that a software organization running at, let's say, Airbnb versus me running my software development processes at a large bank or at a large healthcare company, you know, how is it, what data can we collect that says, where is their DevSecOps processes helping them? and how do we integrate those capabilities in with our particular processes to give us that same type of velocity and the same sort of security checks and things that we need so we can iterate faster and possibly bring in some of these different capabilities inside our organization? Yeah, you you bring up a, a fascinating point of just sort of the economic climate right now and a lot of these enterprise publicly traded companies sort of in that brownfield maintenance mode, which you said is, is in your experience, the majority of their application portfolio. And I start to wonder how many of those applications are suffering under the maintenance, right? Just the maintenance, just the maintenance alone. How many are drowning in that maintenance just to keep you know, from a customer perspective, just to keep that market level straight, right? Not to lose any, no churn, but just to hold their market. And it makes me wonder, to your point, I think you and I were chatting earlier and you made this point that in previous, this is our also my third go round in an economic climate like this. And we have seen historically in the past sort of phoenixes rise out of this economic climate, right? And they are the behemoths that we know today, the ones that have really owned the market. And this, you know, while it may be an uncomfortable economic climate in many ways, presents that same opportunity for who who's going to step up and be the next phoenix. And, you know, going back to that brownfield maintenance mode, I wonder who is suffering under the maintenance, who's going to take the time to actually invest in re-architecting that back end to just keep the maintenance going in a more efficient and agile way. And then who's going to go the next step and really make that cutting edge innovation like your bank, 
right? Like the banking system to not only maintain market share and maintain customer retention, but actually grow. And I don't know, it remains to be seen, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that um, uh, some of the teams that I've seen in the past that I've worked with is when you go through that brownfield refactoring process and you're able to remove some of that tech debt, all of a sudden you find something inside the code that you're like, why didn't somebody look at this in a different way in the past? Wow. And all of a sudden you break out that individual piece and all of a sudden that becomes a cornerstone of the business going forward. And that's one of the things that anybody who's listening to this is if you are that person who is inside the organization who is doing maintenance and being in charge of refactoring some of these applications and you know, you're not on that Greenfield team who's doing all the really cool R&D and doing, <laughs> keep an eye out for those nuggets inside those older applications. Figure out where it could be reused. Figure out how you could create another business inside the business around those capabilities. Because, you know, one of the things that I've learned is there's a lot of really smart people who have written code in the past. They were just never given the platform inside the company to be able to showcase that particular capability. Sometimes I've even seen it, it's completely hidden behind documentation, a method that's been completely documented out. And all of a sudden somebody goes back and looks at it and goes, why are we not doing this? <laughs> this makes so much sense. And a lot of times it could be because there was a manager or there was a director or a VP somewhere in the stack that didn't feel ready to be able to go ahead and release that type of functionality. Maybe now's the right time. Yeah. Uh, so you bring up a really good point. We often talk about it as an archaeological dig, right? Like what are you going to yeah. find and and is it the prized possession? And why not repurpose, reuse, recycle? Exactly. Right? Totally agree. Well, Lee, it's been so great having you on. Thank you so much. I do have one last question for you. We didn't sure. discuss this prior. This is what we call our lightning round. And uh, if you're comfortable sharing, my question for you is, what is the last thing you searched in ChatGPT? <laughs> so the last thing that I did in ChatGPT was I asked it to write a kid's book oh, around nice. GitOps. Nice. Yes. So uh, it was actually um, to be determined. It may end up becoming <laughs> a kid's book that I may self-publish. But it is a concept around DevSecOps and GitOps and the challenges that we face as developers today. But in the terms of um, there are two characters, one is Uki and the other one is Kit. And um, the two of them are responsible for a, gar a set of gardens. And so who knows? We'll, we'll see if uh, I'm able to copy and paste fast enough before somebody else gets a hold of this podcast and goes off and goes to the chat and does, it. and does the same thing. <laughs> well, it sounds like a great book and I look forward to seeing it on my Amazon feed at some point in the not too distant future. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lee. I appreciate your time and I've enjoyed our conversation. Great. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you.